Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello, everyone. It's Christian Huntley here again. So excited to be back with all of you. To any new listeners this week, welcome. Please consider subscribing to the podcast if you like what you hear. And if you're already a subscriber, then welcome back. Either way, we have a great episode lined up for you. I just finished listening to a conversation between Ron and Katie Dawson, Director of Parish Evangelization and Faith Formation for the Diocese of Orange. Enjoy. Lift off and the clock has started. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity to work with the Diocese of Orange in California and met a great friend in Katie Dawson. And Katie is our guest today. Welcome to the show, Katie. Oh, thank you for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. We we were talking the other day, just when we were catching up, and the called and gifted workshop came up in the inventory and uh, it was a wonderful conversation. I thought, why wow, I'd love to have you on the podcast to break that open a little bit more because there are a lot of different types of inventories we can take to evaluate personalities and charisms and things like that. Um, where do you st- like? Where where would called and gifted fit into that plethora of tools? Yeah. So you know, each each one of those inventories gives us uh, a little slice of the of the picture, right? And um, I, I'm a huge fan of the called and gifted process, which um, involves a, an inventory and then a workshop and, and an interview and a small group discernment process that is, if, if you did the whole, the whole thing, it, there's several steps involved. And, and what we see is that people who do take the inventory, workshop, interview, and a small group discernment see some pretty spectacular and sometimes uh, life-changing results from understanding where God has gifted them and that, and how that indicates where they're called. So, um, I've, I've actually been aware of some people who've changed the direction of their career based on charism. I know of a, of a medical missionary who came out of private practice and went into mission work as a result of the workshop. And um, one of the things about uh, discerning your charisms is uh, this, the slogan from Catherine of Siena is that this is where the world's greatest need is met by the gift that God has given to you. So um, I just think that's a, a beautiful and powerful experience. Huh. I know some people who purposefully resist discerning their call because they're afraid, you know, if they surrender their life to God, if they, if they go all in with God, God's going to ask them to do something horrible that they hate and they would never want to do. And so they just avoid God. But what I'm hearing you say is that actually, if you, if you discern, if you trust, if you dare to trust God and then begin to work through this inventory you can get in touch with your call. And there's great meaning and purpose in your call. It's literally the reason you were brought into this world. And that's probably where you find your greatest joy and peace. Like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, 
there is um, there are very few experiences that rival recognizing that the Holy Spirit has moved in you to meet someone else's need. And um, it just doesn't get any better than that. It's certainly what, what's your role, Katie, at the at the diocese? I'm the director of parish evangelization and faith formation, and I work closely with um, the priest director, Father Albaca, of the Office of Evangelization and Faith Formation. So I drill down a little bit more in the parish context with uh, faith formation programs, but um, I pretty much can uh, tailor what I offer to conform to a mission of evangelization. And we're, we're very focused on that, obviously. Love, love that. How big is your diocese? Just to give our listeners a little bit of perspective in terms of. Um, well, we have about 1.3 million baptized um, in the diocese, which uh, the boundaries of the diocese are the boundaries of the County of Orange. Okay. Um, you can drive on the freeway from one end of the diocese to another in about two hours. Right. Um, and we have 60 parishes and centers. Nice. Awesome. That's helpful. Thanks for putting that into perspective. And so how did you get first introduced to called and gifted? Yeah, I, um, I was newly working as the director of evangelization in a parish in Los Angeles. And um, I had a, a interesting conversation with another parent of a student at Gonzaga University. My son was at Gonzaga and we were at a family weekend and I had just been hired. And I had this interesting conversation with Tom who followed up and told me that of this tool called and gifted that he thought would be a great fit for the vision that I had of developing a a culture of discernment and discipleship in the parish. And so that was the beginning. And um, that was around 2003. So I've been involved with um, called and gifted for a long time now. So was there some type of training and certification or was this just something you grew familiar with from doing it over and over? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, our first step was that we scheduled a called and gifted workshop and brought in out of town um, guests and uh, Sherry Waddell, who's the author of the process, and uh, now Deacon Keith Strom both stayed at my house and taught the workshop several times. So um, I knew them before they were kind of famous, and um, and enjoyed that uh, that experience with them. And then a few years later, yes, I went through a training to become a an interviewer, facilitator, and presenter of called and gifted. I think that was a couple, just a couple of years later, around 2005. And then I came to the Diocese of Orange in uh, 2013 and called and gifted was already embedded in the pastoral plan of the diocese. Come on. Um, and yeah, and actually I met my predecessor, Nancy Hardy, and I went through called and gifted training together in 2005. So we had already built that connection. And I knew that um, the Diocese of Orange recognized the importance of this as a as a, a tool, a resource for people in identifying their charism and call. And um, so that was a great that, that was a great uh, fit for me. And um, and then we we really focused in on that. We've been working to expand the impact of called and gifted for as long as I've been here, eight years now. 
Um, and we've recently embedded it in our catechist certification process. So we're, we're very bullish on called and gifted. We think it's a great tool. That's so cool. I love how you and Nancy would have both taken the course uh, or the training. And then here you both went in, in your areas of influence and really you know, brought it forward in a way that was making a difference. And then you, you know, you connect again. It tells me that must be amazing training because it really drove you guys to do something with it to make a difference. And uh, I love that. And a lot of the coaching that I do, I often lean into strength finders, Clifton strength finders and the APEST profile. And I, I love APEST in its simplicity. I think you pay 10 bucks and 10 minutes later you have your you have your answers. But what I'm hearing from you and and I know some really close friends of mine Scott and Tammy with a group of people from St. Benedict went through this entire process that you're talking about. I've gone through parts of it. I I forgot all about the small group piece, but that sounds far more thorough. It sounds like there's far more inputs in terms of it's not just your own opinion of yourself here. It sounds more well-rounded and more, mm-hmm. yeah, not that those other tools aren't very helpful because they are, but this, this sounds like it has a depth to it. Tell me a little bit more. Yeah. Well, when, when you take the called and gifted inventory, what you're really identifying is possible charisms. Yes. The result, the result of the inventory doesn't tell you what your charisms are. It just points to some possibilities. And then there, there are steps that you need to take to test them. So, and, and some of this is sorting out the difference between a natural talent or gift and a supernatural gift. So we, I, I mean, I love Strength Finder. It's a great tool and APEST as well. You introduced me to that a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the difference with called and gifted is that we're looking for the action of the Holy Spirit and, and the supernatural impact that the presence of the Holy Spirit has. So um, basically, when a charism is operative, you get way more impact than you deserve to get for the effort that you put into things. I don't know if that's a, if that's a clear, a a clear example, but um, yeah, you, you show up, you've, practiced of course you always have to prepare for the work the ministry but sometimes we come away from an experience and we say wow what what just happened there and uh somebody's life was changed in an unexpected way and you perceive that oh a charism of encouragement came into play and i didn't even i i don't know where those words came from that was the Holy Spirit. So we're looking for that, that evidence that the Holy Spirit has been active. And you're doing it not just by yourself. You're doing it with others speaking into you and helping you process that, which I think is a great idea. Yeah, it really builds a, a culture of discernment when a parish embraces all those, all those elements. So, you know, you can take a workshop. We've all done it. We've gone to an event, we have a great time, and two weeks later, we're like, wait, you know, it's in the rearview mirror, and it didn't really change us. So um, I think that the steps of the process make it more likely that we'll actually um, change the way that we see 
our work and our ministry. That is so cool. Can we talk a little bit about what yours are? <laughs> I see the big smile okay. comes across yeah. your face. Yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I like, so I'll, I'll start by saying I, I have not actually completely discerned whether or not I have a charism of music. Okay. I'm, I, I am a singer and a musician. And what we, we like to talk about the charism of music because, you know, you could be a brilliant pianist and play at Carnegie Hall and be very, very talented. And people can really appreciate your, your, your work. Mm. And you could be operating out of a talent, but not a charism. And someone with much less training and, um, uh, you know, much simpler approach to an instrument or to singing um, might sing, might play the piano or some other instrument. And people are moved to pray. Mm. And that's a charism. When, when the work that you're doing moves people closer to God, then we really want to pay attention to the possibility of a charism. So I have not actually gone through the steps to test the question of whether or not I have a charism of music. So I just sing really loud when I'm at <laughs> and, and hope that if it is a charism, that it's doing what it's supposed to do. I also have, I believe that I have a charism of teaching when I teach people learn and, and that is a place where I, what I see is a talent and a charism are probably both coming into play there. Um, and possibly a charism of knowledge, which is, um, people who really love to know things often have a charism of knowledge and they like to teach. So right. knowledge and teaching often go together. Mm. And then um, I, I think it's an oddly labeled charism, but I, I believe I have the charism of wisdom. It's mm-hmm. labeled wisdom, but what it, what it really points to is um, an ability to anticipate the consequences of a decision in a, um, in a long-term way. So uh, it kind of pairs up um, in strength finder with being strategic. And in my, my time with you and our, in our interactions over the years, I would definitely affirm that I haven't heard you sing, but I'm tempted to get you to sing me a song <laughs> on the podcast, but you probably won't. So I won't ask, <laughs> but, uh, and again, because our interactions are usually over the phone or zoom or the, the times that I have been in California, it, they've been for very specific things. So I haven't been able to participate in any of your teaching scenarios, but I've absolutely seen wisdom at work in you um, without a doubt. Like that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so yeah, I would affirm that for sure. Yeah. That's neat. Um, in do you know what your strength themes are? Your top five by any chance? By Clifton strength wise, maybe not. You know, well, they're not, they're not uh, top of mind, but That's I know okay. I'm happy. I'm heavy in the um, the column that is labeled. I believe it's labeled strategic. Yes, I was going to say. I think, I yeah. think four out of my five are in that column. Wouldn't surprise me because you know, even you're talking about knowledge and and teaching. Yeah, mm-hmm. input and learner often go hand in hand. Uh, yeah, those do. Yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, and so and then teachers one of the. So APES strength or APES themes, right? And so I bet you all those are aligned, which 
Yeah, I could totally see that. And, so, and you think about the role that you're playing in your diocese, like what a nice fit. That yeah, not, yeah, you know. it's very, yeah, it, it, it comes in handy. Um, although sometimes, you know, that kind of, um, one of the, one of the uh, themes of the workshop is that a charism is always a minority experience. So um, I, I remember going to strength finders. I, I already knew, I already knew that I had likely charism of wisdom. And then we went to strength finder um, to a workshop and with my parish team, pastor, deacon, associate pastor, and one other team member. And I was the only one who had anything in the column labeled strategic. Right. And then I understood why I was annoying everyone in our team meeting. <laughs> Somebody would have a good idea. And I was always the, yeah, but. Yeah, Break but. it down. The, 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 you know, if you do that, then you can't do this. And make sure that, you know, it's all got to fit together. Um, so that was very enlightening. I remember sitting there at that round table. I can still see the room in my mind's eye going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a, a bad case of intent versus impact, right? Because we, we know our own hearts and we judge ourselves based on our intent, but others experience our impact and they judge us on our impact. and sometimes we can have a blind spot to the gap. And so right. these, these tools can be really helpful for us to see. I have influencing, I have a lot of influencing strength themes. And so I'm highly driven to bring a lot of people in a particular direction. And sometimes the downside of that is I can bowl people over. I'm not proud of it. I don't mean to do that. But in some instances, I just have so much passion that I'll, I'll it can... Yeah, it can be overbearing and, and then that can damage relationships sometimes. And so it's helpful to know the, the exhaust side of our strengths sometimes or mm -hmm. our charisms that, huh, I have to be, I have to manage that. I have to be a steward of the gifts that God's given me, not just unleash them on people without any uh, awareness of the consequences when it's not done well. Mm -hmm. And I can I see in teams sometimes that can that can be a real um it can be a real well to your point, be a real eye opener. And mm -hmm. and I think we can work better in a team when we can take responsibility for our impact and others see us taking becoming aware of that and then taking responsibility for that. Then we become more trustworthy in teams and teams travel at the speed of trust. And so mm -hmm. these tools can be a great resource to help your team overcome some relational issues and that can sometimes just go undealt with because you don't even know where to go. Right. You can kind of cub up a kind of a, a blank wall or, a, you know, you're, you're stuck in a cul-de-sac. Yeah. When, when you don't understand why they keep doing that. Um, and Yeah. <laughs> We have, uh, well, I know when you invited me to come to Orange and we did that workshop with, uh, with the Bishop's teams, it was so much fun. Oh my gosh, I loved that. It was so fun getting to know the people that you were working closely with at that time and, uh, and to see, you know, just like you were sitting at that round table and you realize, oh my gosh, like I, I felt like when we were around that big table, that was going on with different people too. And the mm -hmm. joy that brought out and the laughter and, and the understanding that that brought to a team can 
be really life giving and 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 uh, and so forth. So, how would a church like so? If somebody's listening to this right now, and they're thinking, "Yeah, I've heard of called and gifted," um, or maybe I maybe even know a person or two that have done it, and they're thinking to themselves, "That sounds really cool. I would love to bring that." to our church, how would they go about doing that? Like what suggestions would you have for them to get started? Yeah, well, um, I, the first the first step would be to contact the Sienna Institute, which okay. is uh, sienna.com. Okay. Very, very easy. Um, and, uh, and find out if the local diocese has a called and gifted um, team, a live team, um, because some dioceses do. However, recently Sienna has launched a virtual and online called a gifted workshop. So you can go to Sienna.com, find their learning platform and purchase access to the workshop and do it online. So, uh, you know, that's a, the, the first step really is to find out what's happening locally, because yes. if your diocese has a relationship with Sienna, then um, you probably get a discount. Right. But um, an individual user can go to Sienna.com, purchase that workshop, and they can also arrange for an interview over the phone with Sienna staff. And um, uh, it would be hard to do a small group process unless there's a local community doing it. Right. But we, we're in the process in, um, in Orange. I've had countless meetings on this question recently of <laughs> how to transition to the online process locally because we have had a live team, but we are incorporating it into our um, catechist pathway for recertification and we have about 2000 people that we will put through over the next several years. And so having that tool to use it online is absolutely essential. We never, we never would have been able to embrace it in this way if we were just going to do it with a live team. Um, and other dioceses that I'm aware of are also heading in that direction using the online um the online workshop as a tool for parishes you could gather a, a parish leader can be certified as a facilitator and then they can run the um the workshop for a group as well as for individuals and um and when that happens that person is also able to do interviews so and to run the small group process. Oh, nice. yeah Neat. So it so, sounds very accessible. It sounds like COVID has been one of the benefits of COVID has been we've really rethought things about how do we use online and some of it's a real blessing. Right. And that was very providential. They actually launched the virtual workshop right before the pandemic began. No. Yeah. They've been working on it for a couple of years to head in that direction. Well, so, how and cool is that? They will be launching the Spanish version of the online workshop very shortly. Um, they've had a couple of delays with translation, but I, I, I think it's going up next month. Exciting. Now, when you say yeah. next month, because I don't know when this podcast will air. So uh, right now we're in May. And so that sounds like June of 2021. I, I think, yeah. I think, yeah. I think in June that they're going live with the Spanish or very shortly thereafter. Yeah, that is that is so cool because the Spanish community is ginormous in the U.S., isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. It's about, well, in our area, it's 51% of the, the Catholic Church. 
wow. is Spanish speaking. Spanish speaking. Or well, Spanish or Spanish speaking second generation. Right. I just started doing Spanish lessons on my own uh, probably mm-hmm. two months ago. Uh, and I'm really having a lot of fun with it, but I really do want to grow in my ability to speak Spanish because anytime I go to the States, there's always so many amazing Spanish people. And I just love to be able to speak their language and communicate with them in their mother tongue. That would be so much fun. So that's been one of my personal goals. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the biggest hurdle in that regard is not the speaking. It's the being able to understand when they think that you speak Spanish um, and they start speaking rapidly. hundred so miles I, an hour. I, yeah. Right. I, I do, I do speak some Spanish and I can read it, but um, I almost invariably get myself in trouble whenever <laughs> I Spanish in, in public. <laughs> when I was learning French, because of course in Canada, French is the other language. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the first terms I learned was parlement s'il vous plaît, like speak slowly, please, because that's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, like I learned, I know some, but boy, when people are good at it, they go at a pace that I can't, uh, right. I can't right. keep up with. That's so cool. What are some of the benefits? So at a, at a parish level, if somebody, if a group was going to take this on, our parish said, you know, the priest said, you know what, we've been thinking about that for a while. We're going to act. What's, what's the benefit of it? Like, what have you seen in terms of the actual fruit of this type of inventory for a church? Yeah. Well, um, one parish comes to mind that um, very successfully embedded called a gifted in their in 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 their calendar. I think that um, my friend Bobby Vidal, who's now the director of the new evangelization for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, um, he was the longtime director of, of evangelization for what is now Saint Petiri Tecaquitha in Santa Clarita, and I believe he ran. Called and gifted every January for ten years and put about eight hundred people through um, eight hundred to thousand people through called and gifted. Um, at last count, he may have actually run more after I stopped staying in touch with that with that number. Um, and Bobby would um, have an event pending, and he'd need um, hot people with the charism of hospitality, and he'd put that out in the in the parish bulletin that. Uh, we're, we're running uh, Discovering Christ for 200 people, and we need a kitchen crew. Do you have a charism of hospitality? Because we need you. And, um, and the hospitality ministry in that parish was incredible. Because when we live out of our charisms, it's not work. It's blessing. And so people love to exercise their charisms. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's not a burden. And people don't burn out because you are no longer asking people to do things because there's a need. You're asking them to pursue their call. And it's just a, a big paradigm shift that prevents burnout. I think everybody's pausing this podcast right now, rewinding it and sending it to their key decision makers in their parish. Yeah. <laughs> that is huge. That is huge. Like imagine uh, no burn or lower, lower instance of burnout because people are actually functioning in the areas that they're passionate about. So what are some of the charisms? How many of them are there? Like I know with strength finders, there's 34, four main categories, 34 themes. What, how does that work out in culture? Yeah, I, I think, I think there are um, 28 charisms that are dealt with in the inventory and in the okay. workshop. 
Gotcha. Okay. But there's um there's a constant question of could this be a charism and what would you call it when this happens? Right. Um so you know the Holy Spirit blows where he will mm-hmm. and sometimes shows up in unusual ways and that is often a charism that is not dealt with in the workshop. But 28 um very frequent charisms. And one of the most prominent and frequently seen charisms is that of service. So right. a 50% of the people that go through the workshop discover that they have a charism of service. And someone who has the charism of service actually likes making things happen by doing them themselves. Nice. So when, when there's an event coming up, these are the people who want to set up the chairs want Mm -hmm. to set up the tables, want to help with the coffee, want to get behind the bar and serve the drinks. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the, one of the interesting impacts of the workshop is a lot of times it's the guy who keeps setting up the chairs, who gets tapped to be on the pastoral council. You know, (laughs) a lot of time at church, he's seen there all the time. And father says, Hey, Joe, how would you like to be on the pastoral council? And Joe being a good parishioner says sure father whatever you want me to do and he hates being on the pastoral council because he doesn't want to sit around and talk about it he wants to actually do it so you know that's one of the one of the key benefits of the workshop is identifying you know what what are you really called to do and Mm. maybe it's not the pastoral council right (laughs) <laughs> people do up their resignation letters right now as they listen to this podcast. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, but, and by the way, if you do not have a charism of service, does not get you off the hook for setting up chairs. <laughs> oh, you crack me up. So uh, recently, or not recently, I, I remember when my friend, uh, my friends went through this, my, one of my friends reluctantly said, I found out and realized and have discerned I have the charism of administration. And and he said it as almost as if he didn't want it or, or was afraid to admit it. Uh, and I, I thought to myself, thank goodness some people have that because I do not. Like I need the people around me with the charism of administration. Right. And, uh, and so is it, and I just thought that was funny. So there's a lot of like the charism of encouragement, the charism of leadership, charism of evangelization. Right. Like there's a lot of really. Teaching, encouragement. Uh, well, no, counseling really falls under encouragement. Sorry. Um, yeah, I need to pull out my list. No, and that's okay. But music, I didn't know music was one. And that's one of the. Writing. Writing you know, can be charism. Um, And sometimes what's interesting, and this is why we really need the process is um, you do a lot of writing, but in fact, the process is something very difficult for you. And what you really are is you have a charism of teaching and you're delivering Mm -hmm. the teaching via writing. And so once you, once you recognize that what's driving the work is the teaching charism, um, I'm not saying it, it, it doesn't you know, completely clear the path, but you understand why it's, it's not, it doesn't flow all the time. So one of the characteristics Mm. of a charism is that you get into a state of flow and everybody's talking about flow 
these days, you know, where you're, where you're just kind That's of actually seeing helpful. It. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. working on charism is usually characterized by, by a sense of flow and then greater impact than you really deserve to have. And, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been headed to a retreat or a class where I've prayed, come Holy Spirit and fill in the gaps. Yes. Because, you know, you're never as prepared as you'd like to be. Um, and, uh, and then afterwards, people indicate that it was great. And you think, yeah, that wasn't me. That was, that was God. <laughs> There's a, a, a charism that it really helped me understand. It was really helpful for me. And it's the, the charism of, of helps. Oh, and, yes. And, and describe for our listeners what that, how you would describe that. So um, sometimes the person with the charism of helps might appear to be someone with the service because they do like to do things for others, but that it's usually linked to a particular person and a particular vision. And they come alongside someone and they say, here, let me help you make that vision become a reality. And um, these, these people are invaluable because when someone, someone has a big vision, they need a team and someone on that team, at least one person should be someone with a charism of helps. Um, they see needs and they, they step in and they fill in the gaps. Um, it's a great gift. And I found that Katie, a great understanding for me because I don't have the gifts of the charism of uh, helps or service. Uh, and when people with helps come around you and you don't have those charisms, I felt guilty because they're loving on me and doing things for me that I could ne I felt like I could never return the favor. You know, if you go to a bar and somebody buys you a beer, you feel like you have to buy them one back. Right. But it, but if they buy a beer for your whole church, like I can't pay that back. <laughs> like, like, like that's just too big. And people with helps, I was overwhelmed by their kindness. And and to be honest with you, I, I would because it felt so uncomfortable because I didn't understand it, I would push it away because I felt indebted to them until mm -hmm. I learned that that was a charism. And I was actually doing them, dishonoring them by not allowing them to live out their charism with me because I loved them. I loved being around them. I was so grateful for what they did, but I was trying to prevent them from doing it because I felt guilty because I couldn't reciprocate. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you're actually, that kind of points to one of the benefits of a parish embracing the process and, and building this culture around discerning your charisms, then you start to have a common vocabulary, common yes. understanding, and you can recognize and you can call forth the charisms of other people and you can, you can honor them, you can acknowledge them, and you can work with them. So, uh, I mean, it's uh, one of the, one of the challenges of bringing called and gifted to individuals is it works best when you bring it to a community. So, you know, someone who goes through the workshop all by themselves now has this, this understanding that nobody around them may have. And uh, that can be very, that can be very discouraging. 
So uh, it's best when we have a community around us when we do it. So actually, I would say if there's an individual listening that wants to do the workshop, the first step would be to get two or three other people to do it with you. Yeah, that's such good advice. And, and that's what we found with some of these other tools that that we use is when when you're able to to roll them out in a community, in a church, in a parish, then it it has legs and it can really help us build teams and work together. Just a quick story. Years ago, we were trying to get some help at St. Benedict Parish with a huge project that we were doing. And this guy was took it on and he was relatively new to his to being active in his faith. Um, and, and he, he would say in his language, I don't speak church and, uh, and he's businessman and very competent man, very driven. And so he said yes to this project, but then partway through, he gave it back to us. And, and this was the term he used. He said, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I, I realize I can't do it because you guys don't know how to use a Rolodex. You don't know your Rolodex. And I said, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> he said, you've got 2,000 people in your parish. All of them have areas of life that are easy lifting. So in other words, a charism. He wasn't using that word, but easy lifting. They, I mean, it's easy. And then there are areas that are heavy lifting for them. But you have 2,000 people with gifts that are easy lifting, and you guys don't know any of them. He said, it, how can you run a church and literally have all of these people, the, you're a bounty of gifts, and you literally don't know any of them. I felt so wow. stupid. That's a, that's a great story. That is a great story and very, very much illustrates the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And so how can we mobilize our parish as a movement of God's grace and impact if we don't slow down and prioritize understanding What's easy lifting for people? Because we have an army of people who love Jesus, love the church, and want to make a difference. But I think sometimes we think too small, uh, and and we compartmentalize some of the things that we're doing. And I think this is a great invitation to think bigger, to take the time to get to know people and yourself, so that you can mobilize with intention and be in that flow of the Holy Spirit working through us to love others. Right, right. Now, you know, you mentioned the charism of administration, and I suspect your friend has some, uh, you know, image of an administrator, yes. a bureaucrat and a paper pusher. But, um, you know, God bless administrators because they actually make things happen. And, um, and most of us, actually, when we go through the inventory, we will score relatively high on administration because you have to acquire certain administrative skills in order to survive in life yes but you know if it makes you cry <laughs> it's probably not a charism <laughs> what if it makes you swear is that, is that <laughs> the same okay. category same, same, same category yeah yeah so. <laughs> oh that's so much fun i think today's podcast is going to help so many people thank you for taking the time to break this open with us i I've learned a lot today. I've found it a very fun conversation and I think uh, it's going to be helpful. It's good to be with you. You too. God bless you, Katie. And thanks again for your time. God bless you, Ron. God really has blessed each one of us uniquely. I remember realizing for the first time 
that what I considered heavy lifting was actually easy for others and vice versa. Leaning into our unique gifts and charisms can be such a blessing to others and creates the ability to have greater impact in the effort we put in. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Are you taking inventory? What are you doing to understand the uniqueness of the people you lead and influence? Let us know. Tweet at Ron underscore Huntley using the hashtag Powered for Impact and share your success stories, struggles, or anything else from today's episode that sparked inspiration in you. The more you engage with us and each other, the better we can use that feedback to provide you, our listeners, with more value. And it's fun. I like hearing what you have to say. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Thank you.